All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode 10 of the KISS FAQ podcast. Joining me today is uh, Lonnie and Ken. Welcome back to both of you. Andrew, where are you? We're still waiting. You might be able to join us later. Um, just as a, a matter of you know current affairs and history, last week we spoke to John Reagan, who graciously uh, gave us some time to talk about the history of Farley's Comet and Fate by Four, uh, the new band for which had just been announced that A.J. Perro was going to be the drummer. A.J., of course, was Twisted Sisters' drummer, who passed away today. So I'd just like to give a shout-out to Todd and John, um, and obviously A.J.'s family, friends, and fans uh, on his passing, and offer our condolences to them. Um, he was going to be going into the studio with 4 by Fate in May. So, you know, just condolences to all his friends and family. Um, today's episode was suggested by Andrew, who unfortunately can't be with us. So we're going to go with his topic anyway. And for our 10th anniversary, you know, we've made it through 10 episodes, or hopefully we'll make it through 10 episodes. We're going to talk about Kiss's 10th anniversary tour and album, which of course was Creatures of the Night. So Ken and Lonnie, why don't we just start with the album and, you know, our favorite tracks, least favorite tracks off that album. Um, you know, um, where this album really fits into our fandom. So I'm going to throw this at Lonnie first. Okay. Well, Creatures of the Night is one of those albums that I grew up with. Um, I became a Kiss fan because of my older brother, and he had two um, cassettes, uh, one of Destroyer and one of Creatures of the Night. So Creatures of the Night was one of my very first exposures to the band. And we, we listened to that tape so much, like, some of the others in the early eighties, we wore it out so it, you couldn't even play it anymore, but, but I still have it just for sentimental reasons. And, um, I, I, I love the album just from top to bottom. Just, it's just one of my favorite kiss albums. If I, it'd be in my top five for sure. Kiss albums and standout tracks, obviously, um, the title track creatures of the night when they put and, it's one of those tracks too that I never thought I'd get to hear live because of the. I didn't see the band until the reunion tour in '96. Was the first time I saw them. I should have saw them on the Revenge tour, but that's a that's a topic for another day. And it's um, a good story. And um, you know, when they when they obviously when they did the reunion tour, they weren't playing stuff off the Creatures, and I never thought I'd hear get to hear the title track Creatures of the Night. So when they played that in Vegas, it was just I was just having the time of my life and. War Machine is also a standout for me. Um, obviously, it's just a it's, it's really become over the years a signature Gene song, and th- those two tracks for sure. I really like "Keep Me Coming." It's a great, great tune, and I'm probably not gonna be the only one to bash on it, but I love it loud. I'm just it's a good song, and I loved it when I was five years old singing along with it. But it's just been worn to death on me. I just I. I skip and it never comes on anymore. But, but, but creatures is uh, when I saw that it was suggested for the topic today. I was like, oh, I'd love to talk about creatures because it's just one of those albums that just really means a lot to me for for a lot of sentimental reasons. Right. Cool. Ken. 
Yeah, I was uh, about uh, five years into being a Kiss fan when uh, I was able to pick that up. I had a friend that worked at Tower Records, and he was able to get me the the record like a few days before the release, uh, which was cool. And uh, I took it home and put it on and pulled out the lyric sheet and started going along with the uh, the music. And I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, how loud everything was um and the drums i mean that's the best i've ever heard any drums on any album since uh before or since um and the music it was all good i i, I couldn't tell who was playing well i always thought i thought it was the uh the four that were on the cover you know with ace and uh i couldn't tell you that he didn't play or did play on that album at that time but um all the songs are great um i particularly liked uh right off the bat um rock and roll hell um war machine like lonnie and um i love it loud um pretty much everything was you know it was good from top to bottom uh it's one of my i would say it's in my top probably my top five uh kiss albums and um it was great uh, i didn't hear anything before that before it came out it was uh wasn't on the radio i wasn't a bunch of publicity for it um beforehand um it just kind of came out and uh I was happy to listen to it. I think I called my friend. You got to listen to this thing. You got to get it when it comes out. You know, and it was it was a great album. Yeah, publicity seemed to have been very lacking. At least looking back historically, I'm in the same boat as Lonnie's. I was, you know, uh, only got into the band really in '85. So the the album cover that is the album for me is the one with Bruce on it. You know, when I think ass on the back. Yeah, you know, and and I I always. You know, we we had a good thread about that on the FAQ about whose ass was it. And I, you know, I I th always thought it was like Paula Jeans, you know, not a model. So, um, you know, whatever. But it's the it's the uh, the nightscape picture with Bruce um, and Eric. Obviously, the non makeup cover that makes Creatures my album. The, my two songs on that that I absolutely love are "I Still Love You." which I think is one of Paul's all-time best vocal executions. It's also just a really, really well-crafted song. Um, and Killer. I just love mm -hmm. the lyrics that are so Vinny in that song, um, just the way that that's whole structured. And, you know, I, I would have said years ago, I would have said any song on this album is a good song, you know. Um, after doing all the, like, the research for the various uh, FAQ books finding out that rock and roll hell was a cover um you know kind of detracts from um you know me liking it which is weird because a good song should be a good song um but having it be a bto song you know like yeah okay uh war machine yeah i like it and I'll, I'll agree with you lonnie as well creatures of the night at vegas was fantastic. absolutely fantastic i can't remember if they did that in 2004 um, in australia they did and yeah. I'll show you the day when they kicked off Rock Nation. Okay, so they didn't do it by the time they got to California. No. Um, but I, I can't remember anyway, so it wouldn't matter. Uh, but in Vegas, absolutely stunning mm -hmm. to have creatures back. I think it was in the opening slot, wasn't it? 
Um, the, the show I saw, they opened with Detroit and then went into Creatures. Okay, I think I was at the first okay. show. Yeah, I think they opened up with Creatures. I, I should know this off the top of my head because I, ta- I, you know, I videoed the damn song and put it up on YouTube, <laughs> so whatever. Um, fantastic. So that that's that's my picks on that album. Um, you're, ta- you're talking about I Love It Loud as a single. You, you say it's a song you skip, Lonnie. All right, what would you put out as a single from the album then? I would have put out the title track. I, it's it's one of my favorite Kiss songs, and the drums on that are just awesome. The way it starts out, and I'm I was really surprised that that wasn't a single because it's it's just a phenomenal track. And whose idea was it? The hey, let's go back and remix this song and tune down the drums a little bit. Whose bright idea was that? Because <laughs> The song is perfect the way it originally was put out, and to remix it was just like I don't know. It's just like it's it's ridiculous. Behind and I I went back and listened to the, that '85 remix today, getting ready for for the show, and I was just like, why? Why would you want to remix it? Because that out title track of that is is just a fantastic song. And I. That's what I would have used as a single. But don't get me wrong, I love it loud. I think it's just it's just worn on me over the years because of how much it's been done at shows, every show since since I guess two thousand it's been done and it's just like you guys got better songs than that that we can play. But as a kid, listening to that listening to that song and singing back and forth to the band, it was cool being eight or nine years old listening to that song. But it's just I don't know, I'm just kinda jaded on it. I'm just kinda grown tired of it over the years. Ken, do you remember ever hearing that on the radio back in 82, 83? I heard it. Uh, I was working in a warehouse at the time, and we used to play, you know, the uh, rock radio at that time. And it did play a few times uh, on the radio, and I, I was kind of surprised that it was playing on the, the radio um, because, you know, let's face it, the radio didn't play Kiss. Um, so... Uh, I was very surprised, but it didn't last long. I mean, I may have heard it for about up to two weeks here and there, and then it was gone. Yeah, I mean, looking back at issues of uh, Billboard, it was bubbling under in January 83. Uh, I think it hit 102 on the Billboard. Well, it didn't even make the charts. Uh, It was just in the bubbling under charts. So abject failure kind of in, in that aspect. What do you think would have been a better single? I... I would have picked either uh, Rock and Roll Hell, which you, you kind of dislike, um, and or uh, Saint and Sinner. I really like that song. I think it's one of Gene Simmons' best vocal performances, and it's kind of uh, different from his normal style of writing. Um, um, I really enjoy that one. I, I'm trying to. I think from more of a uh, radio-friendly format where, you know, you have some hooks in it. Um, so those would be my two. As for if if they would have put on It's My Life, I would have chosen that as the number one single. I, I, I still, to, to, today, I don't know why they didn't put that on there. I think it, it may have given that album a boost and uh, put it to gold status of a record. Um, and not have to wait until 1991 for it to go gold. Yeah, maybe without doubt. But the price of failure for Gene with uh, I Love It Loud was he didn't have a 
single release, did he? And again, until 1992, mm-hmm. it was all Paul songs until then. So that's a pretty, yeah, yeah. a pretty oh, high price. Thing. What about the do video? You remember, do you remember ever seeing the video for "I Love It Loud" on MTV in the day, Ken? You know what? I never saw that video. I was, you know, I used to watch MTV a lot back then, and and I never saw it one time until I didn't see it until I guess they. Uh, I don't know where I saw it first. I think I saw a snippet from like a um, Entertainment Tonight, where they, you know, flashed the video. I'm like, I, where is that video? I never seen that before. Um, so I didn't really see it until maybe Kissology. I can't remember when I first saw it though. Right. And they weren't they weren't exactly on TV in America either, were they? For um, for creatures, I think Night Flight they did, um, and something to do with maybe New Orleans. Uh, a little bit of news footage here and there. It wasn't like they, they did the European tour and did live performances in Germany, Italy, and um, Holland. Um, but in America, you know, it, it's just yeah, I, one of those odd on, things. I have a DVD of a bunch of the news footage for Creatures of the Night tour, and including Night Flight. And they were out there promoting it. I know that quite a bit. Um, but... It just it just didn't take off for them. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember the first time I saw the video. Um, I don't recall seeing it on MTV. I think it... it actually, is it, it not mo- exposed? Is it on Kids Exposed? That, that's what I'm just looking up for anyone who wants to wonder why I surf the internet. Um, <laughs> I'll probably get criticized for even asking if it's on Kids Exposed. How does he not know that? I, I, I can't remember what's <laughs> I can't on... I can't remember on, either. Generally on the albums, and we wonder why Paul can't remember what's... On he he's he's written the hundreds of songs, you know. We're it's just the, rock and roll over, if you ask. We're we're just the fans. Um, Anything's off rock and roll. Over. Yeah, it's not on exposed. Um, that is the Rio version there. So I must have seen it on MTV back in the day, eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven. At some point, maybe Headbangers Ball or something, because um, that that was the only access I had. I certainly saw it. The video, it, again, go to YouTube if you have not seen it, and if you haven't. And you're not a new fan. Uh, shame on you, because it's one of the band's best videos. It's really as they straddle the pseudo performance thing that they were doing with "Sure Know Something" and "I Was Made for Loving You," it, uh, "Shandy," and "A World Without Heroes." In that, that it's performance on their rehearsal stage, uh, mixed in with Howard Marks as the dad, um, the kid with the glowing eyes and all that. And, you know, I can't turn those pictures into a thousand words today, so I better have another cup of tea. Um, yeah, it's one of their better videos, even, too. They didn't, they didn't make good videos in the 80s. That's really a standout video for the band, other than up until probably their best video. In my until opinion, Unholy. Yeah, maybe until Unholy, maybe. No. Best, best video they ever done. No, no chance. You, you guys are just being unkind to who wants to be lonely. <laughs> so, yeah, I, or uh, all I'll night. That. So, <laughs> the the girls in it kind in those kind of win, but in in terms of a gritty, um, bombastic video, I love it loud without a doubt. Until Unholy is the band's best video for a single. What do I think? Um, I would have thought title track, um, and that of course was released in, as, as a single only. I think in the UK where it went top forty. So maybe that's just my British side coming through a little bit more. Um, 
had it been recorded and released, it's my life, without a doubt. Um, but who knows what it would have done for the band. All right, let's look at the next part of this. Players. Ken, active KISS Army member, circa 1982. Um, any inkling of Ace? Any enough musical ear on there to be able to say, well, that's not Ace? No. Um, I knew it was different. I said, well, Ace is maybe playing a little different, or maybe Paul is playing some leads um, on it. Um, um, I just thought it was Ace, and he's progressed, got a little bit nimbler on the speed. Um, <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I really didn't know it. I back If you go before that, back to Dynasty, uh, I didn't know... Um, Peter Chris wasn't playing most of the drums. So uh, I guess my ear wasn't that. It was more of the whole sound of the song, all the instruments coming together as one kind of thing is what I hear, you know, with the vocals. So, um, yeah, I couldn't pick it up. Were you like, why isn't Ace singing a song, though? Because he had, you know, he had sung on The Elder, he had sung three on on uh, on, on Mass and on Dynasty. Did it, did it strike you like, well, that's weird. Why isn't Ace singing at all? Uh, you know what? I don't think it did strike me. Um, I thought, oh, well, maybe he didn't, you know, he ran out of material after <laughs> his, his, his big output in the, in the last, you know, a couple, three albums and his solo album. So, um, that didn't, that didn't strike me. No. What about you, Lonnie? Where did it fit into your listening experience becoming a fan? Well, I, I grew up with the album and I, and I really liked it and, I never, we had an old cassette, one of the original cassettes that had the old um, makeup cover on it even. So that was my experience with it. And then when I got it on CD um, in the early 90s, and I got the, the, the great remix version. And, you know, I I really enjoyed the album. And I, and, and coming through and finding more things, more, more and more out about the band as a kid, I'm like, well, who played on this? Lead, who played lead guitar on this? Because one, it has Ace Frehley on it, and the other one has Bruce Kulick on it, and trying to figure things out pre-internet. And it turns out it was a, it was a different guy that was the true lead player on the album. Was it, it, took a, it took a little bit for me to kind of piece things together, especially pre-internet, considering yeah. I had the one album cover and the other album cover, and it was a different guy that even played on. Which yeah. is really kind of strange when you think about it, that there's two different album covers, and neither one of them feature the guy who really played lead guitar on the album. That's true. And if anyone wants to spend a hundred bucks on a really fake <laughs> Brazilian so-called tour edition, my pet peeve is that damned album with Vinny on the cover. Oh no, that's real. That's real. Yeah, it, it's it's magically been discovered, but I guess things do magically get discovered as. Uh, recently found out with the Australian 100,000 Years single, so it can be 40 years after the fact. But those, the ink still wet on the <laughs> Vinny covers. Um, musically, I don't have the ear. I mean, I, I was the guy with Psycho Circus who couldn't tell that it wasn't Peter. Um, but I, I don't think that really matters. You know, Gene and Paul and Eric. Eric, star of the album for me. Uh, drum, or Absolutely. should I say the person who recorded his drums is the star of the album for me because that is Eric's best drumming it's the most noticeable thing and I think it's the thing that we can be sure that he pretty much did all of that um, I don't think there's any 
suggestion of any overdubs being done by Alan Schwartzberg. Uh, no, no additional symbols. Uh, the guitars are apparently nothing to do with uh, Bob Kulik. He did some work, but none of it was used. Um, and here's another guy who just died recently, Mike Porcaro of Toto, is apparently on bass on one song. So um, you get a few of these kind of more obscure people coming into the picture. Jimmy Haslip did three songs. Steve Ferris, that's the Mr. Mr. guy, I believe, um, does the solo on Creatures. And then Robin Ford uh, does lead on I Still Love You and what's song A for? Rock and Roll Hell. So, it's a mess. The rest is probably Vinny, noodling around. Um, and Paul, of course, who's more than capable. But it's not noticeable. So, Yeah, with so many players on the different musicians playing throughout the album, it's, you can't tell. I mean, it's, it's a co- cohesive uh, from the start to the last song. Um, even though you had uh, yeah, Eric Carr playing bass on I Think I Still Love You, so yeah. Yeah, which is one of the the weirdest things, you know, Eric playing bass. Um, and then there's Adam Mitchell, the songwriter on this. I mean, that's the cool thing about the album for me is it's where they f- really start to bring in the outside writers that they needed so desperately after, you know, 10 years, it's their 10th anniversary, that they had gotten stale, um, that they needed an injection. And that's where Vinny really comes into the picture strongly, though I wouldn't have known at the time that he was that great of a songwriter. It's only with lyrics like Killer that you see the stuff that he was doing, where he was coming from. So, was, I mean, how do you guys see the external songwriters in this picture? You know, it, it, it looked like Gene and Paul were really struggling to to bring in material to the sessions. And I think, I think they, they knew what they wanted to do. Like they, they knew that we need to go back and write a heavy kiss album to mark our return to our, to form. And I think they were struggling in finding their niche to do so because they had been fooling around so much with dynasty and unmasked and the elder and kind of changing their musical direction that I think it was hard for them to go back and say, it, I don't. Paul didn't. Paul or Gene didn't have it in him to go write a, a love gun or a or or a almost human or something to that ilk to try to to get back on track. And they needed those outside writers to kind of give them a push or to or to stir up the the creativeness. I, I think because they were maybe they they were in the studio and they couldn't do it. They said, we need to bring somebody in because what we want and what we're putting out just isn't there. Right, so so when we look at you know some of the songwriting, I mean, Rock and Roll Hell and War Machine obviously came from Brian Adams and Jim Valance. Um, they submitted both of those songs to producer Michael James Jackson, who brought them to the band. Gene insisted on adding a verse to, I believe, one of the songs. Rock and Roll Hell, I think. Yeah, and and changing that ever so slightly, but uh, that song's performed in the first couple of shows on the tour. And what I've always wondered is it sounded pretty good, especially on on the Rockford recording when you can actually hear it. Um, and then it's dropped. And I've always wondered if they dropped it because they found out that it had been released on a BTO album um, and maybe didn't know that before. I, I, that, that's just kind of me pondering. But uh, 
that that songwriting they didn't do any writing with Brian you know he didn't Gene didn't sit down with them whereas all the stuff with Vinny working with the band was him being the go-to guy um same with Adam Mitchell I guess um cuz he comes into the picture at this time as well Ken do you think they needed help um I think obviously they did need a little bit of help um if I think Michael James Jackson, the producer, uh, went out and asked for Brian Adams and uh, Balance and uh, to 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 submit something to them. So um, yeah, I think they needed some help. They probably didn't know what to do um, after the Elder debacle, and uh, it was so headed in a different direction back then and they now wanted to head into an total opposite direction go so heavy as heavy as they've never been before um i think they needed a little bit of like a push like lonnie was saying um to to get their juices flowing and and creative juices flowing actually so um yeah I don't think there's any point even suggesting was the album heavy enough as a counter response to uh, Unmask, which would have been the last album in the in the U.S. Because obviously it's one hellishly heavy album. But I I don't know how much help Paul and Gene needed if they can write a song like "It's My Life" and not record it. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> or give it to. How many times I try to think about it? Well, you know. And there's only nine songs on Creatures. Why can't you throw a test song on there? It seems to me that maybe they were trying, they didn't want to be overly too poppy or catchy because they went down that pop road just, you know, a couple of years before. So they were trying to go away from to the, the very catchy type of uh, chorus and so on. So It's My Life, which is very catchy, uh, you know, of a song. Um, they kind of said, no, this is not going to fit with what we're trying to do. They could have been so ahead of the curve in terms of the rock anthem oh, of the 80s, of the 80s, 80s with that song. For a band that yeah. lived lived and died on anthems in the 70s, I mean... I just don't understand. Look, look at those single releases. They, I mean, it, it's just weird. And I hate that version that was put on the box set, the, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. the 1998 version. The drum machine in the background. It's just wrong on so many levels. It lacks everything that the uh, the, that pretty crappy sounding demo has. Yeah, you Uh, have to go. You have to go to the Wendy O. Williams version. Uh, That's the only real good version you have now. Yeah, we'll take this great song and we'll give it to Wendy. (laughs) Um, How you deal with that? Gee, I don't just don't get it. So we got this great song written to give it there. All all this other stuff. I mean, Legends Never Die, another song Gene gave to Wendy. I mean, I don't know if it was demoed. It, it certainly fits in the catalog from that era. And I think the, the recording on... Uh, actually, I'm reading my own damn book here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Paul wasn't fond of it, apparently, and they never put a vocal track on it. So Wendy got that one. The other big song that's omitted from the album... Well, there's two. Uh, Nowhere to Run was remixed for possible inclusion. That hadn't been released in the American market, only on Killers. Um, and Back on the Street. So let's start with Nowhere to Run. Would it have fit on the album? I think it could have fit on the album pretty well. I mean, it kind of has the same kind of feel 
especially if it, if it had been, you know, the remix, the fit on Creatures, I think it has a kind of a Creatures of the Night feel with Paul's vocals on there. I think it would have, you know, fit in seamlessly on does, that album. Does it compete too much with I Still Love You, do you think? You mean back on the streets or Nowhere to Run? Nowhere to Run. Either, no, actually. I, I guess we'll be able to ask the same of that song. Yeah, I think back on the streets, I don't think, I don't think they wanted two power ballads on the same album. I, and I think that's why they left that that one off. But And I would love to hear Paul sing, sing Back on the Streets. But at the same time, had they put Back on the Streets on there and not put I Still Love You on there, we'd be like clamoring for a great version of I Still Love You. But I think no, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think Nowhere to Run would have competed with any other songs too much. I think I think it would have fit on there on there really well. Yeah, one of the other songs that shows up on a perspective uh, song listing years ago, there was this uh, album flat for Creatures that a picture of it circulated with uh, a song called Betrayed on the back cover um, track listing. And that's like a Vinnie and Paul uh, collaboration. I don't think anyone's heard it, or at least I haven't. So damn you all if you've heard it. Um, <laughs> there, there was a, a, a pretty decent uh, warrior instrumental with the same title so i don't know if it was built on that that was one of the other songs um and then of course back on the streets what say you on that ken well um nowhere to run i think that would have fit um with the sound uh, if they recorded it with the same sound and the the bombastic drums uh it would have fit right in and it from that standpoint it probably could have been the lead single uh, if not, you know, uh, it's my life. If nowhere to run was on there, I think that would have been the single. All these songs we're talking about, Mister Person at Polygram, is or Universal as it now is, huh. is why Creatures of the Night should be the next deluxe edition. Absolutely. Paul Stanley vocal of Back on the Streets is probably one of the few remaining holy grails for me that, uh, that I want to hear. That Frelly's Comet was doing live versions of Back on the Streets, and we've never gotten to hear a Kiss version of that song. Um, it's one of those things I want to hear so badly. One of the other outtakes that did come out a few years ago is the Not for the Innocent demo. Um, for me, that has all the balls that would have fit on Creatures. I mean, they have the material. So... Paul and Gene trading off vocals. I take it you both heard that demo. Yeah, it's fantastic. Should have been on the album without a doubt. It's way too polished on Lick It Up. Um, they're working on it, obviously, but uh, great, great sounding song. And then there's like one or two other songs out there. Eye of the Storm, which is Gene and Michael Jap, um, and Chrome Heart. I think both of those were offered to other acts to record. But ton, ton of songs where they wouldn't necessarily have needed um, Brian Adams. But they only went with nine songs on the album. Yeah. Nine nine, nine songs on an album where they're kind of making their comeback. It's And it's, there's these great other demos out there that they could have used to at least put a tenth song on. But they only went with nine. Back on the Streets, I believe. What's got, the reasoning behind that? It's really strange. Well, Back on the Streets was killed, I think, for legal purposes because of it had been written beforehand. Um, and I think that was Vinny and legal and publishing 
got no. it got it kill from the album. No. <laughs> not not Vin not Vinnie torpedoing it, but it was kill because it was published or I, I don't know the full details on that, other than it's been mentioned as the one song that was killed for legal purposes, and that I believe was mentioned by uh, Jeff Seuss uh online years ago. But still that they could have had a twelve or thirteen song album or a couple of really good B sides. Um so so, so, it, so it's a shame. The tour. Ken, this is going to be all about you, really, because you're the only one of the three of us who uh, actually saw the tour. Yeah, well, I did see them three times. Um, uh, I was lucky at the time. Uh, I had a friend living down in, uh, or going down, going to Long Beach State, Southern California. And uh, I had already uh, purchased tickets for uh, San Francisco um, at the San Francisco Civic uh, in Northern California. And uh, he said, hey, they're going to play twice down here. Do you mind to pick up tickets? And I was like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Let's go. So me and Buddy drove down there, and the first show was at Irvine Amphitheater. And we had we were almost front almost front uh it didn't seem like it was empty or anything it was pretty well packed um i i remember when the show started i thought oh man this is this stage is awesome and i i kind of remember the uh you know they made played the tank kind of rolling sound at the beginning of the show and i swear they had the little marks on the tracks i swear that i saw the the, tra- the tracks rolling like they were the treads were spinning um i don't know if they did that with a lighting effect or or what but i swear they were it looked like they were uh turning so they came out and i believe yeah it was um started you know creatures of the night and it was just from start to end it was full bore um um the other thing was new was i think that was when we learned uh vinnie it wasn't kiss I mean, it wasn't Kiss, but it wasn't Ace. So Vinny was there, and, um, well, after looking at the uh, tour program, which I still have uh, from that tour, uh, it's like, wait, who, who's this guy? Um, what happened to Ace? Um, so he was, um, I don't know, looking at Vinny Vincent and watching him play, um, I was used to the ace solos and you know what I mean? The ace solos are very memorable solos. They're always melodic and they fit the songs, always fit the songs perfectly. And when Vinny was playing it, it was, whoa, what's going on here? And everything is in, you know, 78 speed on a turntable or something. What is going on? So, uh, I didn't care for that. Um, but I, I, I thought, well, you know, he obviously is a very talented guitar player. Um, I was just hoping, well, let's see what happens, but that was one of the best shows, um, or the best tours that I had seen them. Um, just this, this, the set list and so on. Um, I think the next show was maybe the next night. So my ears were already gone from the first night. And the next night was at uh, sold out at the uh, Universal Amphitheater down there, and uh, we were not quite as close at that one. But 
it was just another another great show another great show so then a week later or so we were up in san francisco and i believe san francisco was the last makeup and uh last makeup show in the united states it was the last that's right. show the yep. tour um even though they were going to play uh you know rio or brazil um but it was it was the last makeup before they came back with it uh you know and their union tour. So it was great. I remember the comments about Michael Jackson, I believe in that, that show, uh, Paul Stanley had a, the Michael Jackson doll. Or was that that, like that tour? Or wasn't that 84 animalized? thought that's when he went all anti Michael Jackson. Well, I don't know. Now I'm trying to remember. I, I swear it was that one, but I could be wrong. going to have to dig out the tape. And Vinny's solos, of course, are a little, a little bit like a rat on acid attacking a fretboard. Live. So you saw him late in the tour. You didn't get to see Vinny use the bow. He didn't oh, use the, the bow on his guitar solo. Uh, you know, he might have used it. Um, I'm trying to kind of struck a memory there for me. Um, I think he might have. You know, it's, it's been so many years now. I can't. I can't say for sure. But you saw three of the four shows with uh, Motley Crue opening for them as well. Yes, Motley Crue was. Very good. I think I picked up the Molly Crew album. I still have that vinyl on their own record label, Leather Records. Right. Yeah. Uh, I still have that vinyl, um, and I just picked that picked that up in the store just by chance because it looked kind of cool. I said, "Well, I'll try it out and see how these guys are." And then it turns out they were opening for Kiss, and it's like, "Oh, this is cool! I I know the record. I know some of the music." So um, they were. They gave, you know, Kiss a run for its money. You could see they were very influenced by Kiss. And um, it was a good double bill, one of the best, you know, bills of seeing both, you know, when you have two bands playing. That's probably why it worked well again with the tour. You know, you've you've got Dad and the kids. You know, the Kiss by then is the the elder and Motley Crue's the usurper coming along and, and they would have been massive in Southern California in 80, yeah. 80, what, 83. Yeah. I March. Jealous. You saw a hungry Motley Crue and then kiss on the creatures tour three times. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. like a hungry, a hungry kiss. I mean, they were hungry. Yeah. You could see the kiss was very hungry trying to get it all back again. Yeah. And with an opening act like that, you know, they would have, oh. they would have been challenged to bring it all at those shows. All three of those shows, bootleg lovers, are out there on uh, on your you unof- your your, un- your unofficial uh, shows, and that's been the only way I've ever experienced this tour live is through the bootlegs. So I did a, a count up of mine and some online sources, came up with twenty five shows archived to some degree or another through um, for this tour. And anyone out there wants to correct me and let me know that the ones that don't circulate, um, yeah, go ahead. I love being <laughs> I love being corrected if there's more out there. So I think I, I just want to quickly run through a, a couple of these that are the key recordings. Um, first one, Sioux City. Um, second show of the tour. They're playing six songs from the album. Here you are, your band. You have nine songs on your album. And you throw six into the set. <laughs> when all you really had to do was get rid of I Was Made For Loving You and 2000 Man, uh, Ace of Songs, because obviously he's gone. 
six songs debuted that night, and I got to bring up my spreadsheet so I can actually remember which ones exactly. Um, but it's they, like keep me coming that night. Yeah, oh, that's awesome that. That was that probably night. done the first night, which nothing surfaced from. Um, but creatures of the night obviously started off. Uh, I love it loud. Keep me coming. War machine. Rock and roll hell. And I still love you. And Sioux City is below average. You might be able to get through it once. Uh, it's not going to be one you put on your iPod. Um, next night, Rockford, Illinois. And some people call this an excellent audience recording. It's been so hyper-processed. Um, I, I don't think it's very good, but you can more clearly hear five of those creature songs because Keep Me Coming's dropped from the set by the third show. Uh, so that's... Uh, Probably one of the key ones. Montreal, the uh, I believe that's the only partial video in the story. Have either of you seen that? I've not. You haven't? Go on YouTube no. right, right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's that's a pretty decent one. Um, you get to experience a little bit of the creature's feel, but it's just not good enough. Um, I, I think you really gotta hope that a pro shot does does show up, and then you know, for, so me, amazing. for me as a bootleg collector, one of the earliest ones I ever got was Ottawa from January the fifteenth. I think that's probably one of the best ones from the tour, but it's just one that I've listened to so many times. Um, the the sets got very static by the fourth of January. You know, uh, two songs have been dropped. Um, I think. Yeah, just uh, keep me coming and rock and roll hell are the ones dropped, and the the set becomes static and they start moving the songs around a little bit. But for the rest of the tour, they're either dropping a song here and there, not performing it, and it's usually it seems to be Strutter uh, being the victim. Um, but by the end of the end of the tour, you know they're not added, they've not done anything substantial. One of the cool things to track down collecting wise is the Peters brother, the truth about rock, and that's the the Christian anti-rock thing um mike brownvold on otaku years ago had uh some of that recording and it's got some of bloomington minnesota on it with uh, one of the guys going in and actually talking about paul's raps and the satan worshiping kiss fans in the I audience listened to that when i was in high school on the otaku website we were stopped I don't know if it was the Civic, San Francisco Civic, or a year later, but we were stopped by some protesters uh, on our way into the Kiss concert, and we just kind of, you know, blew them off. So uh, it was uh, prevalent back then that these guys were out there and, you know, saying you should read the Bible and you know this music is Satan, you know, has messages on it and so on, but. Uh, yeah, it was, it was happening back then. Yeah, where is it? Was that in California? It was in California, yeah. Really? In California, uh-huh. Yeah, the Bible protesters were still around at the shows. You know, when I went to Oakland, uh, Sonic Boom Tour, um, they were there. When I went on yeah. the Farewell Tour, they were there. So, I mean, it, it's... When I saw I saw them in Springfield, Illinois, in, like, the Westboro Baptist Church, whatever, they were outside front protesting, and my buddy's, like, going up and, like, being an ass trying to talk to him. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a video of him talking to him. It's hilarious. <laughs> but I think the cool thing about the, the truth about Rock, the Peters Brothers, is that Gene's really getting into the kind of like 
trying to get into it with them uh, on an interview. So he's, he's trying to be all smart and go against people whose agenda just was not going to be bent by responding to them. So it's like with trolls, giving them a platform just gave them an excuse to put out a cassette tape with him talking to them. And now starring Gene Simmons, a kiss. So I want to see what else is on this, uh, on our list today with this topic. Because I've kind of gotten lost in the weeds of the bootlegs. The stage set. So, I mean, Ken, you had had some great comments about, you know, the tracks of the tank. And that that stage would be used for two tours, essentially. Yeah, we saw it uh, the next tour and Lick It Up tour. Um, that was probably one of the top four you know, stages uh, for them, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the way the, the the turret, you know, had the big pipes on it, blew the smoke out, had the turret blew out smoke and had the, uh, it looks like a flash or, a, you know, a, a bomb, you know, uh, a missile or something shooting out of it to give that effect, right? Um, and then uh, the turret's, moving back and forth and going forward it would move forward for uh eric's drum solo and uh it was just man it's just you know metal heavy metal you know a tank is heavy metal you know it just it just fit um it was very cool i mean there was no lasers or anything like that um just your normal light show pretty much but uh it's just visually it was very cool to see live and the costumes, they'd gotten a, gotten rid of the the pink and the green bushy tails and the capes. And I, I've i never really figured out a suitably insulting way to describe Gene's lava suit, um, <laughs> which just never seemed to make any sense of what it was to me. Um, but he was back to wearing his armor. Um, Paul, didn't Paul have a little... Fox's tail or something. One of them had yeah, a little cute little tank top he wore too. Yeah, and he, and he yeah. started started wearing his own tour shirts as well for the uh, right. for the Brazil shows. So I mean, visually they were back to hard as nails, leather. Vinny, I, I don't know. He just always looked strange to me with those gigantic buccaneer boots that he he seemed to wear, um, and, and his costume just did not work. Nor did his makeup because. The, the little ank thing it looks more yeah. like it looks like a bullseye target to me but um <laughs> with the way some of the fans are towards him all right let's see where we are uh yeah the turret the turret is also i'm just looking at uh kiss fan shop has a great stage breakdown of all the elements in the live show for this tour uh supported with pictures so Great one of the turret actually fired. And you can see all of this on um it's on the Rio show, I believe, on Kissology. Yeah, it's all there. They've, it's pretty well documented on there. I mean that's and that's the only really good good quality of that tour, which I am really jealous of Ken seeing it three times with and the footage of it really being sparse because just the songs that they played on that tour and just the just the interesting time of the band being with Eric and Finney in makeup and, you know, playing a half empty arena. It's just, it's just a, it's one of the most interesting times of the band's history for me. 
and I, I, I just wish it was better documented because it's one of my favorite albums. It's just, it's just, it's, it's just like a, it's like the almost like a mystery tour because there's so little, you know, facts about the tour. Yeah, I don't think that the Rio show that's that's not a good representation of of that tour because watching that and and remembering what I watched uh, for those other shows, uh, it was just it just wasn't the same. Plus, it wasn't. I think the daylight didn't help either uh, on a lot of it. But uh, it, I remembered it a lot more exciting. Um, so. Yeah, and people who have seen that tour say that, like, like you said, it's like it was one of the best times, if not the best time, I saw the band because they were just so focused and determined and knew what they wanted that we are going to rebuild this thing, and if we got to start from the ground to go back up, we are going to rebuild this thing. People, and I've heard a lot of people say it's the best, best Kiss show they ever saw. So I'm, I'm just jealous of the people that saw it and just wish there was better documentation of it. Yeah, and they had some other good opening acts as well on the tour. I mean, Night Ranger opened up a bunch of shows. Um, Wendy Williams, Plasmatics, opened up uh, a few. And then there's some no-name bands in some of the early shows. So, you know, as as a tour package, you know, there was some decent stuff, even if the attendances weren't there. Um, where, where does it fit in, in terms? That, is it a successful album? Did it really set them up? Uh, and a mission, was it mission accomplished? Ken? As as the fan back then, what did you feel? You know, you see them in you see them in concert. You picked up the album. What did you think Kiss was at at that point? Um, I think it was mission accomplished as for what they were trying to do. Um, you know, hit it hard and and put out the heaviest and best album that they could at the time. Um, as for the health of the band, um, obviously with Ace Freely, um, leaving and now Vinny in there. Um, I don't know about the health, but, uh, the, the album, uh, I think it put them in the right direction for the future, at least, even though it wasn't commercially successful, um, especially with all the things, even though they released all kinds of material, meaning they put a lot of extra singles out uh, in different formats for I Love It Loud. They had that double groove uh, album or single and uh, and some other ones. And it, it just didn't, commercially, it, did, it was no good health-wise, but, and, and touring. I mean, they hurt themselves in the prior album so much that they lost a lot of the you know, fan base, and uh, I'm one of the fans that stuck through, you know, through it all from, you know, all the ups and downs, so um, it's just those fans were going to see them at that point, um, so, uh, yeah, the health-wise, they were slipping a little bit, but they were pointing in the right direction, okay, this is our direction now, we're going to go this way, and keep pushing forward, we'll see what happens in the next year or so. Lonnie, I'll let you lead off with the revisionist view. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really feel they, they made an album that, that stood the test of time because, you know, they're, they're, right now they're playing Creatures of the Night. They play I Love It Loud all the time. Um, they play War Machine the last two tours, um, the tour with Motley and the tour with Def Leppard, and they're playing it now over when they played Japan and, and Vegas, they played that. 
Um, on the farewell tour, they Paul led into Black Diamond with parts of I Still Love You. Yep. Um, they really made an album that, even though it wasn't accepted initially, that KISS fans looked to, and like we all said, oh, it's one of my favorite albums. It just sounds incredible. And it was a step in the right direction for them at the time. They knew what they wanted, and this is what we're going to do. And no, it didn't take off. So, you know, obviously they went in a different direction. We're going to, not in a different direction, but obviously a different visual direction by taking off the makeup, obviously. But, um, you know, it, it got them back on course for producing kiss-like music and not poppy stuff and, and, uh, and, um, concept records. So I, it's, it's, like I said, it's one of my favorite albums. I don't care for the, for the remix version that they put out in the eighties with, um, redoing war machine and creatures of the night just two of my favorite songs i don't understand redoing those songs what is what is wrong with them whose idea was that not only whose idea was that but why they go yeah it is a good idea let's do that <laughs> so but and then and then let's put somebody's butt on the back cover to on top of it. but um you know and that's why i was so glad when they did the remasters in 97 and i got a good version of of that album with the album cover that it's supposed to have, sounding the way it's supposed to sound, I was really thrilled at the time. And and the sound of that CD today, you put it in, it just sounds so crisp and phenomenal. They did a great job with the remaster. Obviously. Well, yeah, you, you go one step better than that with the HD tracks version that came out last year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the 97 remaster on steroids. Really? It, I gotta do that. It really... For that, especially for that album. Yeah, the 97 remaster, I remember getting that, and I, of all the oh, albums, man. it blew me away just how sonically, um, a, what a sonic assault the whole album was when you hear it for the first time on a remaster properly. Back in 85, as a fan, I n- didn't know anything about the uh, the makeup cover. Again, you really? know, you know the, the other one was heavily stocked in stores, you know, from mm-hmm. what, June 80, I think it was June 85, so it's December of that year that I'm really getting into the band. Um, I didn't find the album with a makeup cover until like 1988, and I found it in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, in a dingy little backwoods record store, um, a Singapore and Malaysian issue of that cover, super high glossy, and I sold the damn thing. I, I should be ashamed of myself. Um <laughs> And then the cassette, I I found, uh, I think, a local one of those as well out when I was living out there. So that that was one of the things. I When I think of the album, I still think of the, the Bruce cover. So, Well, they they hosed the uh, the last year's version on vinyl, right? They put the, yeah. the, the one with the remixes on it, the 84 version. Yeah, it's they, the 85 remix. Yeah, the 85. And uh, how could they do that? I don't that? understand it. <laughs> Well, that's, it, that's a record company. That's not the band. Yeah, it's, it's it's a record company. It didn't have anything to do with the band. I've been through two copies of that so far. I've not been able to get one. I had one shipped in from England that arrived with a cracked spine, so that had to go back. Then I had another one come in that had a torn cover. So I, I don't have one of those. I've just got the HD tracks, which, you know, I, I'm going to have to check that. I, I don't recall if that is the correct mix or yeah. not. 
I got I got like a glow in the dark one from what like, was came out in maybe like ninety five or something like that. I got that. And yeah. that's like a remix too. It's not the original it's not the original version either. Yeah. yeah, and and didn't the credits on one of the uh slips uh, the dust leaves have uh and and C D for years had I Love It Loud um credited to Paul. Which I always found hilarious, but because uh, it's just so unpaul, it's it's like Paul you hates can, that song supposedly too. And can't stand it, but Gene insists on playing it every But you mentioned some of the cool collectibles on it. Yeah, that that twelve inch double uh, grooved twelve inch single um, with the laser etched autographs on the back. That's yeah. one. That's one of the cool British um, issues. There's also. The picture sleeve. Most of the European countries in Japan had picture covers of some description. England, of course, had Creatures of the Night um, as a 12 inch with, instead of having like the blue faces, they did purple. So a little bit of dynasty coming back. Oh, a little, <laughs> let me correct myself since I'm speaking English. A little bit of dynasty uh, <laughs> coming back in, but a ton of really cool singles from the air, especially Holland singles. Uh, most of them came with. Um, picture sleeves, including the uh, the black and white cover for what is it, Killer, with uh, the movable Gene tongue. Right. For the, oh, very nice. Yeah, for, for the kid that doesn't have it all, <laughs> a movable Gene tongue. For the so. kid that needs it all, the movable tongue. <laughs> all right, so I think the album's a success. Uh, you know, it, it's it set off a four album run where the production was absolutely astounding, particularly when it comes to the drums, because I know some people bash on Asylum for its sound because Paul was doing it, but the drums through Creatures, Lick It Up, Animalize, fantastic. Michael James Jackson, I think, earns himself a position high on a pedestal for his work with Kiss. Um, absolutely outstanding, the work he did on this album, on the next, and on the half album he'd done, you know, the project prior. So, absolutely fantastic album. Creatures of the Night, central to my collection. I don't know if I put it. I don't know if I put it in my top five these days, but it certainly was for many years. Top five album for you, Lonnie? Absolutely, top five album. Ken, top five for me. All right, let's call that a wrap. Creatures of the Night, tenth anniversary, and the tenth Kiss FAQ podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you. Bye.